0: for energizing i guess. Everyone. What are they
1: what's the what's the competition like? What are they Um them?
0: so the ultimate barista challenge was basically set up as a culinary competition after a couple of them, they designated ultimate baristas that had won consistently. So you get to go you and i go on stage. You have one station, i have another. It's a latte art category. You've seen Jefferson do it. Frozen drink. Espresso and specialty creative drink, your signature drink. So basically, we would go at it and whatever challenge you and I would go. Whoever wins that challenge, it's judged right then and there. Your hands raised, you move on. Then you get to basically pick, like Iron Chef, who you want to challenge.
1: So, but do you do you get to bring the product as well, or they give? Yeah, you, the, you bring, okay, your, okay, your, you bring own your own stuff. stuff. Okay. Yep. That's that's pretty
2: cool. You have some of these trophies on the wall somewhere? Or? Oh, I have all of them. <laughs> Love it. All you of know, them. Yeah. What were some of your winning drinks?
1: You win trophies, you hang them up.
2: Waiting on fries. That you don't get it? You don't What
1: do you mean you don't get waiting on fries? Hopefully the customer never hears waiting on fries, but all this time on the entree
2: and it's perfectly executed and then you're it's like, ready fuck. to
1: go. I forgot to fire the fries." I just
2: always use that when I forgot to put somebody's order in and I was like, "Hey, I'm just waiting on the fries. It's going to be
3: two more minutes." Realistically, I come back 10 minutes with the food. Exactly. <laughs> they just know that their food's not there and the service that they're still waiting on fries. I guess we're just waiting on fries.
1: <laughs> not only because we're fans of Sloop Brewing Company, but also because they've sponsored this show, I'm more than happy to read that Sloop Brewing Company operates out of Fishkill, New York, and are brewers of the one and only Juice Bomb, a northeastern IPA, and other world-class ales and lagers. Visit their Instagram at Sloop Brewing Co. or find their website, sloopbrewing.com in the show notes.
3: That was such a professional sounding ad. Crush well, that shit. It's methodical. methodical. Crush that <laughs> shit. So what's up, Jay? We've got awesome things happening
2: today. We're talking coffee, guys. Coffee. I love coffee. Big coffee things. Sounds like you've had quite a bit. Yeah. How much coffee Do you have today, Jay? I had a whole cup already. Wow. It's Jay, gone. Just one cup? It was black. I don't put milk in it. I don't Here. put sugar in it. I don't no don't put milk, in no sugar ever. Nothing. You're nope. this
1: hyped up off of one cup of coffee? Boom.
2: Well, I've had, a, I've had a good cup, and I didn't eat yet, so I'm starting to get some twitches, too. So we got to put some food in the system a little bit after this. But we've got Mike Love coming from Coffee Labs today. We do, and it's actually good timing because
1: we're redoing our coffee program at the store.
2: And also, I just know black coffee, and I know dark roast is what I like. I know nothing else about coffee. I don't know anything
3: about coffee. I know mm-hmm. even less than you, I'm sure.
2: So we'll get to that. And I'm sure Nooms has prepped a, a fun review segment later on. You really sound like you've drank way too much coffee. Way too much coffee. I can't help it, man. We've been on the go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you know, I, I was I was running around this, this week, and I had a couple interviews in some bars. I'm looking to add more bars to the resume here. And I want more city action because there's just – it's a whole different beast being in the city, right? So with that being said – I had an interview, I had a couple talks, and it just reminded me, people do this all the time.
1: Were they interviewing you or you were interviewing them?
2: It was like a little bit of both, but mostly I was interviewing them because- Did you have more or
3: less coffee for the interview than you've had today? I ate, which was a little bit different. Okay. Okay. You know, I was a little bit more subtle. So you don't seem as twitchy and wild. I could see Jay wild. have
1: absolutely no intention of actually taking a job, but just curiosity struck yeah. and just go
2: on interviews. He's just like, today to have I a conversation. <laughs> I'm
1: going to spend my day talking to people. I'm just curious. I'm just going to take a couple of interviews and see what happens. Yeah, I'm, see, I'm, I'm, working, I'm
2: working on a medium post to do a whole me- me- method. <laughs> he's, not,
1: he's not interested in any jobs. He's just, you know, I got some free time today. I think I'm, I'm going to go on medium. a couple of interviews for reconnaissance.
2: <laughs> but, you know, with this said, though, there's so many people right now, this the slow time of the year. Some people that are maybe a little bit younger in this business don't realize it. They just think it's slow because it's slow and they need to find a new job. So they've now quit their job. They're looking for another job.
1: And then they realize it's the time of the year. It's very hard to find another job and because it's, it's so slow exactly. and across the industry.
2: Exactly. But, it, you know, through the interview process, you realize that as you get older, you're not necessarily the one being interviewed. You are, but you're not. You're also interviewing the place that you're maybe potentially looking
3: to work at, right? Well, yeah, because you got to think you're going to spend so many hours of your life at this place. You got to make sure it's something that you want to do. If you've totally.
1: matured into the well into the business,
3: yes, because
1: you definitely see that change. Like when you're the when you're just starting out, and you're 18, 19, 20 years old. You go in an interview and you're like, Okay, I got all my answers. He's gonna <laughs> ask me this. He's gonna ask me that. Yes, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Yep. Blah blah blah. Whatever. And then as you Grow up in the industry, you realize is just important to you to be picking the right place, and that they should be answering questions a certain way, yeah. so you know going in to the whole situation that you're gonna like the situation you're in or not. Because there's a lot of people that take a job
3: and then realize this is and then you.
1: it's not for them, yeah. and they don't realize what they're about to get into. Yep, and then you've wasted your time, and you've wasted their time, and
2: and and that's the last thing that you want to do at the end of the day is spend all this time training somebody to do the job that you need done and maybe could potentially build with you in this business. And then all of a sudden they're like, this isn't for me. And then you have to go repeat the whole process again.
1: And then most people go get another job and put you down as a reference, which I never understand. (laughs) Yeah, we get, we
3: we get a lot of, uh,
1: I've had kids I've fired, put me down as a reference. I've Uh, had
3: people that we didn't even hire, put me down as a reference.
2: You know, those phone calls come in all the time and Somebody that runs this business as the manager or owner go, hey, do you know so and so? And I go, yeah,
3: about that.
2: Should, should we have that conversation? Like, I, I mean, you
3: should have the conversation, but you shouldn't bash the person.
1: We
2: we don't we don't bash, right? Yeah. We we look for the appropriate position for people to be able to fill.
1: Oh, you're saying an interviewee referencing another employee or a former employee that might not be a great reference. Yeah, like. You know that guy that was stealing from you last week? That is, and you what fired him? him. He's my best friend. He told <laughs> yeah. me that apparently there's a job opening here because yeah. he got fired.
2: What? Yeah, those those are the things. So, like for me, I'm a I'm graphic designer, right? So I have my interview. I, my interview. My what do you call it? What's the thing that you give people? Portfolio, business card, not portfolio. Resume. Thank you for helping me out there. Uh, so you're a graphic designer. You would
3: have a portfolio.
2: Yeah, I have a portfolio, but my resume for the bar oh, okay. is very graphically designed. So it stands out a little bit more than other resumes. Now I
1: see where he was going with that.
2: So do I. Sorry guys. My bad. <laughs> all um, right. you've had a lot of coffee, but with that said too, you know, at what point are you looking at resumes? And a- as an owner, at what point are you looking through a resume and say, this guy's good for the job here. I don't He's asking like him. How many
3: I, stickers should he put on his resume to I, catch your attention? I don't look
2: at him at all. I'm
1: gonna not gonna lie.
2: You the just take the work. you just call everybody back that drops a resume? No.
1: I have an application that I've designed that has questions on it that I care about. Very
2: specific questions. And that's
1: all I care about. And I don't care about this place or that place or whatever, you did this or you did that or your bartender certification yeah. or whatever bullshit you're gonna put on your resume. These are the questions I want to know, and that's going to save my time whether or not I'm going to call you or not.
2: And that's on your application, that's actually. That's on the application. Yep. So if somebody comes in with their resume, you're like, fill oh, out fill this out application. Out application. Yes. God, I hate you. Um, no, it's
3: good because if people can't even follow the simple direction of fill out this application, they're probably not going to be able to follow a lot, fill out or follow a lot more complicated I appreciate directions. them having a resume. Yeah, like, but I mean like, like okay, you know, you have a resume
1: because everybody told you to have a resume, but.
2: What kind of questions are on your application? That are like the stand-up questions like, that you're like, oh, this uh, is the person. Things
1: that would pertain to the job. Like, for instance, can you lift 50 pounds and stand on your feet for 12 hours? Yeah, sure. Uh, are that you should. available on the weekends? You'd be amazed how many people <laughs> apply for a job. You know, I can't like, work I on, can't on can't Thursday, work Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, though. Okay. I'm only available Monday afternoon. like, great. I don't even yeah. want to open on Monday afternoon. Why <laughs> yeah. am I looking for someone available then? So, like, those type of things. And then, quickly, I'll ask, are you, like, E-Tip certified or any of those, the, the worthful certification is not your bartender certification hmm. and um i don't know what other questions are on there i, I ask anymore. how they uh w- to rate themselves as a team like are you a leader are you a follower you know how good are you at dealing with customer complaints what's your cocktail knowledge what's your beer knowledge how well are you those type of things and then i can just read it and see how they answered one that tells me if you're an intelligent person you know how to answer those questions Right, and so it's a step you, in the right direction. So if you don't answer them correctly, I can save my time.
2: And, and time is important to be able to save. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what are what's like something that stands out as oh, I can't hire this person like in an in immediate interview? Attitude. <laughs> Attitude being permitting. like one, one word answers,
1: for example. Okay. Like if you're if you're a prospective uh, employee and I'm asking you a question. I think it's a valuable question. So, uh, yes, no is not a good answer.
2: Yeah, you're looking for somebody that's able to communicate, and maybe in the future, when there's a problem, isn't just going to say, "I did this wrong." Like, let's figure just out communicate effectively, yeah, you know, like anything,
1: anything like that, yeah. or unenthused answers. There's a lot of people that will sit on an interview, like kind of leaning back, like I just did, and don't look. It almost looks like it's a work for them to be on that interview if you're not even enthused to try to get the job what are you going to be like when you have the job the
3: work hasn't started if you look like that it's not going to work out yeah so
1: those are the key things and smiling you know if you smile you know it's we're not we're in the hospitality industry so you should have some teeth yep what, what was yeah. the what was the
2: rule again of smiling and saying hello to people
1: well that was the five and ten rule most of my interviewees are within five or ten feet away from me so they I should don't do, do, any open. I don't I don't do any across the room <laughs> interviews hey <laughs> I
2: love it uh and you know as people do go around and they have these interviews a lot of times the uh, person that's interviewing them or the manager will say do you have any questions for me when they if they say no, is that kind of something that signals that they're not yeah. really passionate? Unprepared,
1: or? just looking for a job, especially in this industry, they're not ready for it. Because if you have zero questions, you don't even you don't even know yeah. where you are. That is <laughs> like, how do you have zero questions? You should have also, at least one or two questions. Yeah, and there's also bad questions. Yeah, that you can ask. People say there's no bad questions. There is there's bad questions. There's bad questions. So if I say, I would like to get to the point. For you to ask me questions before I say, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Because we should be having a conversation. And if I have to, if you have to say, do have you to have any lead questions? It, then like, you're yeah. not really a good interperson person. And yeah. in the hospitality business, you need to be able to speak with people yeah. or rap with people, you know, at a table or at the bar or whatever. Your host, especially. So if I have to drag, if I'm doing all the work, then you're not going to be able to do that at a table or do any of those things with a guest. So that's, one, don't let me get to the point, like, do you have any questions? We should be going back and forth. It shouldn't be a question and answer sit down. It should be yeah. conversational a little bit. And that's really Great. the thing that I'm judging because attitude is the thing you can't teach. I can train anything else to anybody. Almost but if, anything. No, I mean, you can train anybody anything if they have the right attitude.
2: And uh, to interject, too, though, it's, you could have two interviews where one is fantastic and you're having that conversation that you speak of. And it's effortless and you're just hitting all these marks and things are just gelling, if you will. And then you could have another interview with an, another group where it just doesn't go well at all. And it's not necessarily, oh, I bombed the interview. We just didn't work out together. Right. Right. And I, I think that's something that you but, need to look for as a grown business. Yeah. And
1: that's a relationship you're going to have. So if it's usually you're getting interviewed by your manager or your future manager. So if it's not there, then it's just going to be there. It's not going to be there. So it's really important to create that thing. Now, the questions you shouldn't ask, number one question. You will, I will not
2: hire you. How if much you, money are you going to make?
1: Exactly. I will not hire you if you ask me how Yo, much I'll pay. Is. Like, what do you think? Like, what do you think of it? Do you think you're not going to get paid? Like, I don't understand. The other one, which is almost just as bad as do I get paid for training?
2: Uh, I, I, I Well, keep in mind some bars will just have you on and never call you back and... You, you did training for free essentially just to get the shifts on the bar. But I don't
1: care. I don't care if that's your experience. You're asking me that question. It shows you have one focus thing on your mind. You're yeah. not like a team person True. saying, am I going to get paid to train? I wasn't the person that didn't pay you to train. Don't True. take out your bad experience with somebody else on me. True. Right. If you're, if all your concern is what's my salary going to be? And if you're a server, I got news for you. It's minimum wage. Yeah.
3: <laughs> You should expect that
1: anywhere you know outside of you know one of the hospitality included restaurants where it's a little differently structured. Mm-hmm. Most servers are going to walk in and get minimum server wage until you, you achieve certain, right? You know, approve yourself. You got to become a trainer or become a you know a lead server or something like that, and then you go up. But your money shouldn't be tied. You shouldn't be worried about your hourly wage as a server because. Mo- most of your money's going to come from tips and your tables. Which so you should be worried from your personality and it comes how you treat your personality people. and your attitude and how you're yep. looking at the job. So if you're coming in, you're asking me, well, what's the salary. Like that's your question.
2: <laughs> you just also said uh, another good point too, is that you're looking for a team player mentality at the end of the day. And when you talk to people, a lot of times, sometimes you'll notice a lot of I words and not enough we words. And that's important, I think, to note on both sides of the field too. When you talk to a business, if they describe what they're looking for as, I need this, I need this, to me that's a little bit of a red flag. Instead of, we're building on this, we're doing this, because to me that establishes culture and a team mentality, uh, which a lot of places sometimes don't necessarily have. You're saying from the restaurant side? I'm saying on
3: both sides of the field. Yeah, if the manager speaks like, yeah. I need it, I need, this, I need that. That. yeah, I, think, I guess it makes sense.
1: I usually say we're looking for yeah. this right now or this is how we do things and, you know, this is the culture here. You yeah. know, you got to be in. I talk about that a lot. On in an interview, I'll just talk about what we do. I'll be like, this is squad. Get in or, or
2: get out. Send just your applications over at Smokehouse right now. No, we're not hiring. <laughs> <laughs> Look what the wind just blew in. Caffeinated hippies and hipsters alike congregated this coffee lover's paradise. Where you get a buzz just walking in, thanks to friendly baristas promptly offering rock-solid brews with a warm smile, with fair prices, occasional live music, and a cozy vibe. There's no wonder it's always crowded with both customers and their pets. It sounds like a poem, right? He didn't need of. It I kinda, write that. I
0: kind of dig it. I like it. Kinda Sounds good.
2: Dig it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't write that at all. It was from Zagat, but it sounded like okay. it was a, a poem to some extent. <laughs> it did sound very poetic. Yeah, it definitely did. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Mike Love in the building with us today from Coffee Labs. Thank Welcome. you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to come speak to us today about what? Coffee, coffee, coffee. <laughs> Literally. Everyone thinks that they know things and they know nothing, right, Just
1: This is true. As I've stated before, I drink a lot of coffee unfortunately it seems a lot of bad coffee i went to go visit coffee labs in Terrytown, thought it thinking i knew what i knew about coffee and realized i know nothing about coffee
0: (laughs) yeah there's definitely uh there's quite a bit to to know to learn i learn every day we opened 18 years ago and it's just been a constant learning process and you opened in the
2: town of Terrytown. Let's paint the picture of Terrytown itself, right? For those listening in Australia and all over
0: the world, where we Perfect. have people tuned in.
3: Um, one guy in China. There's one guy, guy in China. China. There's awesome. One guy in Korea now too. Oh, right.
0: Right. All right, good. I, I definitely know some people. There is a coffee labs in South Korea. Oh, crazy. Just to let you know. And as far as the one Chinese listener, nice. Um, I actually did some consulting in China. I uh, lived there for four months start helping a new roasting company start up. So basically, let's get back to Terrytown. Terrytown's right at the Tappan Zee Bridge. I call it the Tappan Zee, because it's the Tappan Zee aka the Mario Cuomo Bridge. No one's ever going Just to call Tappan it Zee that. Yeah, it's the TZ. So Terrytown's the first exit coming over from Rockland, last exit going to Rockland. Rivertown, it's kind of like that all-American main street. You know, tree line, old street lamps, just a great, cool, comforty vibe. You're not finding Walmarts. You're not finding like
2: CVS type spots, really. Well, CVS is. Yeah, got, we
0: have a CVS, we have a Walgreens, but for the most part, it's pretty much all independent shops.
2: So you also, though, are heavily into coffee here to the point where you said, I'm opening up a coffee spot. Coffee Labs in 2003 here. Mhm. Years ago, what was Terrytown though at that point? Oh my god.
0: Um so Terrytown had gone through a pretty pretty big change as far as GM pulling out of Sleepy Hollow, which really maintained Sleepy Hollow and Terrytown with the employment, businesses once they pulled out kind of died. It was antique shops, it was the Greek restaurant, the tea shop. And us. Yeah. And that was it. So we really just decided this was the perfect place and it was antique shops. And slowly we kind of met, we kind of saw the curve on in Terrytown. And of all the river towns, it's really, without a doubt, the most lively town with the music hall. It's just great. As time goes on, too, all these.
2: I, I want to say smaller towns wind up having these nice features that start being built upon i mean how long Mameich was a source for food uh in my day being here fifteen years ago or so right
1: yeah yeah, well, actually, when I was a kid, there wasn't much going on in in mean, I have really there was really not a reason to go down there except for South <laughs> <house. laughs> <laughs> and, and and the movie theater at that time they did have but other than that there wasn't really anything anything there but yeah. now now you're seeing a good a boom, and I think it's that similar to Terrytown, it's a vertical it's a vertical yeah. village. So you just shoot that street right down to the water, same way Terrytown kinda of everything goes right down to the water. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's nice. So location wise, I mean you can be in a better spot now. But let's scale back to coffee real quick too. Um and not real quick. We should spend a lot of time <laughs> on coffee, I think. Uh, yeah. The you got into this business after working in restaurants. Yeah. What triggered that, though?
0: Well, as you guys know, because all from this that that alternate universe of the restaurant world, um, it was basically I was burned out. I'd worked at a bunch of restaurants. There was a, my the last opportunity was you know blah blah we're expanding this great opportunity we all know the drill, um, and then we got a great write up from the New York Times. And a month later, I was handed a severance check, and I said, "That's it. I'm done. I'm not doing this for anyone anymore." And it was for coffee. If I was going to do coffee, it was going to be roasting coffee, just like grabbing stuff from a farm that you would cook within a kitchen. Roasting coffee was just another culinary outlet for me, and creative outlet.
1: So you were you were a chef before?
0: Yep. Okay, cool. But so, this you
2: <laughs> said you got your severance check, and then you were like. Well, now I'm a coffee roaster. I'm just (laughs) Um, here. This is what we're doing now.
0: Yeah, my wife currently was my girlfriend, fiance, um, partner. We just kind of decided, let's go to a coffee show. Let's go to the Specialty Coffee Association of America show. See if this is really something that we could mold into and fit into, and really do. And we were really fortunate. We found a bunch of service industry misfits, corporate misfits. It was like, oh, my God. This is like the restaurant world, but in a much more relaxed environment.
2: (laughs) Which is ironic.
0: Yeah. So after we went to our first coffee show, we solidified the idea. And in 2000, we started searching for a place. We found Terry Towns location and just kind of moved on. Did you know anything really about coffee before
2: you went to that show, though? Or were you doing research for some time period? Or was this did a little,
0: did a little bit of research? Um, I lived in Europe for a while. Um, after we decided we were going to do it, I was fortunate enough to get an internship at a coffee roasting company out in Queens, which was Dallas Brothers Coffee. Been out there since like the 1920s. Spoke to David Dallas, the owner of the company, and he basically, I did like six months apprenticeship rolling, roasting with their small specialty batch roaster. Learned a lot. Realized it was time, temperature, airflow. I'm like, okay, this is this is totally doable. It's just cooking another, another farm product, and another consumable. So I was like, yeah, this is great. And I don't know if to deal with like individual plates and expedited none of that so out the gate too did you after
2: you left the apprenticeship at that point you said all right it's time that i do my own thing
0: yep we had already been in the process of getting the location the lease oh so it wasn't even out of the backyard for a little bit or the garage before Mm -hmm. actually it was about i was out of the restaurant business probably a year and a half and then boom we did coffee labs oh wow so the idea of the name from Coffee Labs was? So in the morning uh, at the time, my wife was working at Dragonfly Cafe in Pleasantville. She was working in a coffee shop. I did some recon work in that time being at the Green Monster. Um, And that's... I don't know. It's the research that she was doing... Everything just kind of leaned into this was the perfect match. And then we left one day. I went to the shop, came back to the house, left a large coffee next to the bed. We had three Labradors, two blacks, and a chocolate. Denali was a chocolate lab, and she had a really soft mouth, and she basically just popped the lid and drank the cup. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out we called the vet because she had a history of eating and doing stuff said five gallons in one sitting for a 65-pound dog. Okay. No toxicological. If we do this, let's call coffee labs. Play on words. We roast coffee. Our dogs drink coffee, hence the dog and the coffee. Coffee labs.
3: That's funny.
1: So Uh, the dog was okay, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it
0: sounds
3: like (laughs) the dog can eat or drink five gallons of coffee in one sitting before they have any negative. Yeah.
0: That's good to know. For a 65-pound dog. yeah, yeah. Five gallons is a lot that's of coffee. Lot of, yeah, of coffee. I mean, <laughs> I can't drink five gallons of coffee.
2: So
0: the, uh, all right,
2: so now you've got your name, you've got your lease being built up at this point. And uh, the last piece of the puzzle, though, is like you've got to source this coffee. Where, where are you just you wholesale buying it from these events? So or?
0: at the time, I had worked out a deal to buy coffee from Dallas because they sold green coffee as well. So with that, and going to my next show I kind of met more people and had been roasting and I had met a couple importers and just started getting access to better more coffees, better coffees. Um from that point it was really 2005 I took my first trip to Mexico. I had met a processor he invited me down. He was working with a sustainable, really sustainable program down there as far as tracking coffee. Two,
2: two shots right there. Two shots. <laughs> there's, a, there's a game here. Every okay. time
0: sustainability
2: is mentioned. you got to take a shot. Okay, perfect. Uh, in, in this case, it might be espresso.
0: Okay, fair enough. So we head down to Mexico. We bought our first coffees and continued to meet people. I was invited to be a uh, judge, the tasting judge, cupping. That's basically like a wine tasting, sniffing, slurping, spitting. What do you what do you look for in in this? Yes.
2: I it's probably a whole hour talking itself. Um,
0: so basically what primarily what you're really looking for when I purchase coffee is cleanliness, sweetness, balance, aromatics, mouthfeel. those are really the key thing is the sweetness and the acidity. And cleanliness. That really is what I'm looking for. Dirty cups are gonna be dirty cups. So you want something to be really clean and balanced when you drink it. So that's kind of what I look for. We go on the same scale as like Wine Spectator and it is... uh, I need a shot for that one. I really don't like to associate coffee with wine which a lot of people do. Coffee is a final product. Wine gets better. It doesn't die. But there is a scale that we go on. 85 and above to 100 is considered specialty coffee. Anything below an 85 is considered commercial coffee. And then it gets even lower than that. What what grade do
2: restaurants typically put in?
0: Commercial pre-ground.
2: Is there a number that you wind up seeing that at, or, though, or no?
0: Um. Most coffee you find in restaurant situations is really just commodity coffee.
2: Okay, I was waiting for you to be like, yeah, they put 12. They put a 12 (laughs) in there, Uh, which you know, I know, we all know that typically it's like the last thing looked upon in a restaurant is putting a quality cup of coffee on the table at the end of the day.
0: And it's honestly, it's always been offensive, even before I was in coffee.
2: You know, you get your hand chewed off for not putting the garnish on the, the dinner plate, but then you bring oh out God. this shit coffee to somebody at the... End and that's the fine. Yeah.
0: And that's absolutely fine. the people that bring out espressos that have none of the beautiful, delicious cremas that are on top, and it, they put in a, a lemon peel on the side. That <laughs> espresso Romano is what some places call it. It's a farce, people. It's a farce. They don't do it in Italy. Um, So I'll give you a quick little history on that one. When first-gen Italian-Americans came over, there were no espresso machines. They were still drinking cowboy coffee and brewing it super strong, but it was a really muddy cup. The lemon brought that acidity that they were used to from quickly extracted espresso. That's how it's an Italian-American thing that ultimately faded off.
2: So it was designed to be a mask. Yeah.
0: For okay. really shitty coffee.
2: Yeah. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm sure
2: in your industry too, though, there's a lot of different ways that people can mask terrible coffee, No,
0: Yeah. Is, yeah. There's, there's lots of ways. A lot of it is French roasting coffee, which is really dark roasted coffee. You'll generally see French roast, okay. that, you know, Dunkin' Donuts or on the shelves. Why? Because it's just dark. People are, grew up with kind of drinking murky, dark, funky coffee. So that appeals to an older generation. Younger generation, I'm almost 50. So my generation is kind of, likes a little bit different of a cup. And people even younger than me that are coming into the coffee industry, it's a very different. They want almost like tea-like, really light, sweet, bright coffees. That murky, muddy cup just doesn't do it. Do
2: you, and not to make a reference to blockbuster Netflix, do you pay attention to these trends, though, that are happening with the youth, considering that, you know, these are your clientele at the end of the day that start coming in and hanging out at your coffee location and sitting and doing, you know, whatever urban hipsters do, right? Yeah. How many
0: times do you raise an eyebrow and go, what are they doing now? Quite a few. It's just. They have they consider them second waivers when I that was the coffee phase before I came in. I came in during what they call the third third wave of coffee, which focused on different extraction methods, roasting lighter, just really just all over the place experimentation and playing, and refining the art of extracting coffee. Now it's coming into the fourth wave, the next generation of coffee, which is. I don't know. I just read an article the other day, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try it. There's a certain amount of pressure you're supposed to extract espresso at, which is nine atmospheres, and you're supposed to use a certain weight depending on what size basket, so on and so forth. There's a crazy science behind all of it. And now people are using lower pressures to extract coffee. And it's not; it's pulling. It's obviously it's extracting coffee at a different water level, so not such high pressure. When you put 19 grams in a 21 gram basket, it roughly leaves three three to four millimeters gap. Once that water hits that compressed puck, it expands. The coarser, tighter the grinds are, depends on water flow. Coarser, of course, is going to pass through. Finer, it's going to pass through much slower, give you a big, rounder flavor. It's almost like people are trying to replicate an Americano, which is water and espresso, right out of the espresso machine. Once again, everybody plays. We were into pour-overs for the longest time. Now we're slowly fading them out. Inconsistency, human error.
2: Just Justin told me something interesting. Yeah, yeah I was you know. actually
1: explaining to him when we when we visited um, Jeffrey Jefferson right? Jefferson Jefferson. He's the man. <laughs> he's he knows his stuff. Yeah, he knows, he's he been
0: with us. I don't know how many people you guys know who have held jobs in the service industry. He's been with us 13 years. Mm-hmm. He's I mean literally a rock star.
1: That's that's awesome. That's awesome. he's amazing. Because besides him, I don't think we had a employee that was. That, there that Dan, dan's kind of catching up dan's been dan's got yeah well, yeah you're right he's dan's getting up catching there up, yeah. what were you you were like 10 years right
3: i think i was with you guys for 11 11 years now. that's 11, awesome yeah, yeah he was yeah. 11 before he ended up going
1: and dan's like dan's got to be there right now yeah he's got to be nine or ten yeah. coming right up but that's it other than that it's <laughs> what we are talking about i visit we visited um coffee labs and he did a pour over for us which i actually have never seen before and he had it
3: all hooked up with the scale, and then it had the iPad. And I'm like, this is a whole science behind this cup. So you gotta explain what a pour over is, because he kind of explained it, but probably (laughs) better. So
0: basically, it's a funnel, a cone that sits on top of a glass server range. A filter goes in it. Originally, they were called Melitas. Then Hario came out with one slightly different design. Melitas are flat on the bottom. Harios are completely conical. There's a bunch of different designs. Kalitas, so on and so forth. But it's basically a filter. You put the coffee in the filter, and you slowly pour coffee via basically a a pour-over kettle. It has a very specific style spout that allows it to flow out at a nice, even flow rate. And it's basically three minutes. You slowly, you pour it over, you get all the coffee grinds wet like it would be in a normal machine. And then you slowly start passing water over it in a circular motion. I, uh,
2: you said three minutes. I was at a place, we won't mention the name of the place yet. However, the coffee machine was down. And I noticed that the coffee wasn't ready as it usually is for me by the time I arrive. And I'm looking in the back and I see the kid just moving his arm around, just pouring water (laughs) over grinds manually. And I was kind of just looking at him like, what's happening here? Where's my coffee? I wound up staying there for about seven minutes or so Mm -hmm. while he was doing this. I was appreciative of the cup because I was thirsty and it was the morning and that's how I start my day. Um, But that is exactly what he was doing then, correct? Yep. Okay. And the
0: sole reason of doing such would be? Different methods of extraction. Extract coffees. In different ways. So I could brew you an espresso with the same coffee, then brew it on the batch brewer, like a normal drip coffee, then move it over to Kyoto, the Japanese ice drippers, pour over, siphon. They're all going to slightly extract different ways just because of the methodologies. And
2: that extracting differently ultimately results in
0: different flavors in the cup. Okay. Absolutely. Gotcha. So when he was doing that pour over, he was following
1: what looked like a grass. Yeah, a, uh, a flow chart. And what, a, what was he trying to hit there?
0: So you're basically all those coffees that you saw on the iPad, and with the scale, the scale is connected Bluetooth. So as it's all teared out, it starts, it's programmed recipes. So whatever he's using, he could pull up. It'll show the baseline, for what we've designated as that brew profile, and then he'll try to pour along that rate. The reason why we're getting rid of it: everyone pours different. There's, they're just inconsistent. Mm-hmm. That's all I could say about them. We've just come to the realization that they are inconsistent. Our siphon program, on the other hand, that's a very different. We have a very systematic way of that. There's no hu- real human error to that.
1: What's a, what is a siphon?
0: It's basically a vacuum pot where the water is in the bottom glass vessel. The coffee's up top, heats the water into the top vessel, and then it goes back down when you take it off the heat. So it goes through a filter. All the coffee grinds stay up, and your vacuum pot of coffee comes at the bottom.
2: There's so much crazy nerd technology out there when it It comes to actually doing things, right? Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, I was doing frozen lattes with liquid nitrogen a couple months ago. That was, people love that. What's something
2: like that go for? That
0: was, I just, I come in randomly and do, I competed for eight years as a barista, so like flair competition, but for coffee. Awesome. Awesome.
1: So that was called the Ultimate Barista Challenge. Ultimate Barista
0: Challenge, yeah. So
1: I saw I saw again when we visited, I saw that. I saw, I didn't even w- wasn't aware there was this whole world out there. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: I've competed. Russia, China. Wow.
1: You think it's gonna be an Olympic uh, Olympic sport pretty soon?
0: Sure. It'd <laughs> oh, be surely interesting. At least I think for energizing. I Did, guess. What everyone. are they
1: what's the what's the competition like? What are they what um are they doing?
0: so the Ultimate Barista Challenge was basically set up As a culinary competition after a couple of they designated ultimate baristas that had won consistently so you get to go you and I go on stage you have one station I have another it's a latte art category you've seen Jefferson do it frozen drink espresso and specialty creative drink your signature drink so basically, we would go at it and whatever challenge. You and I would go. Whoever wins that challenge, it's judged right then and there. Your hands raised, you move on. Then you get to basically pick, like Iron Chef, who you wanna challenge
1: next. So, but do you do you get to bring the product as well, or they give? Yeah, you, the, you bring, okay, your, you bring own your own stuff. Yep, okay. that's that's pretty cool.
2: Do you have some of these trophies on the wall somewhere. Or? Oh,
0: I've all of them.
3: <laughs> Love it. All <laughs> of win, them. What yeah. were some of your winning drinks? You win trophies. You hang them up.
0: Uh, the edible latte was a reverse spherification on a chocolate molded tasting spoon with a hazelnut brittle. (laughs) Say that again, but twice as slow so I can picture this. (laughs) Okay. So we basically, I took a latte mixture then, which is just, I used heavy cream for this one, espresso, just trying to dumb it down as much as possible. So I took all this basically Cold latte, put it in a bowl, mixed it, and did a reverse spherification. So if you guys are into like molecular gastronomy, you know, it basically turned out like an egg yolk. So it had a thin, thin shell, little tasting spoons you get at, you know, parties. It's like almost Chinese soup spoons. Just did a bunch of chocolate molds, put them in there, sprinkled it, served it. I try to do things like I did when I was a chef. Anyone could just put out a dish. I cook steak, you cook steak, everyone cooks steak, put it on a plate. But how do you, how do you reinvent that? How do you give someone that same experience, but not in a cup? Yeah. So that was you know, Adria Ferran, Wiley Dufresne. You know, I, there's a lot of chefs that I kind of look up to and I consider like, okay, they're doing this with food. I still have this strong culinary background. How do I do that here?
2: So spoon work.
0: Yeah. <laughs> spoon, work. spoon work. That's nice we, way to tie it in. Um, <laughs> in. a spread, one of the drinks that Ferdinand Metz I won with Ferdinand was a judge from the French culinary Institute and, it was an Espresso Pisco Sour. I'd just gotten back from Peru. The horrifying point of like an Espresso Pisco Sour is you have to add lime juice to espresso. <laughs> so now you're playing with really two volatile citrus acidic things. And it won. It was a great drink. I've repeated it in Russia. Mike Love's got plenty more to teach us. We'll get to the rest
2: of that conversation posted in a few. But in the meantime, subscribe to the podcast so you can see when new audio is released. Are you someone in this industry? Click the share button and send it to a friend or post it on social. Tag us at Waiting on Fries Podcast. Let's hit the review circuit. Right about now, Waiting on Fries court is in full effect. Judge J. residing in the case of Waiting on Fries against the Yelp Reviewers viewers of America. Prosecuting attorneys are New Bandel and Justin Zato.
3: Order, order, order. So for today's Yelp uh, review, we have a customer gripe. Um, and it's an interesting one just because they say the food and the service was good up until one specific incident. Kind of a long one, but here it goes. First time there, food was good. The disappointment came afterwards when we went to pay the bill, which was forty-four, forty-five. We gave the waitress $60 cash, she asked us if there was change, and we said yes. We waited around and watched the waitress and another woman talk and clean up the bar area. We saw that several times they looked over at us and then turned away when we looked at them. After a while, I thought it was weird, but I didn't really think much of it. After 20 minutes of waiting for the change that never came, I got up and went to the register and asked the woman behind the bar for our change. She then replied that she wasn't exactly sure what I was talking about and then asked how much my bill was. And... Was talking very loudly at this point, there weren't very many people left in the restaurant, but everybody could hear our conversation. She then asked, who served you, honey? Although she knew very well that there was only one waitress for the entire restaurant. I turned to the waitress and said, it was her. There's only the, she's the only one here. And I then pointed at the girl, and she looked at the girl, and I then proceeded to ask her where our change was. And that we had been waiting a very long time, and the waitress said, oh, I don't know, it's over there. And she looked at the woman behind the bar, who then asked me again in a very loud voice, how much was the bill, and did she swipe my card? I told her no, we paid cash, and we were waiting for our change, and walked back to our seats. I then watched the woman behind the counter, who just said she didn't know what happened to our cash, as well as the woman who served us, go into the tip jar by the register and pull out fifteen fifty-five, and then came over and gave us the change. Although we should not have, although we should not have even left a tip at this point, we still f- we still left over fifteen percent because the service was good and the food was good, and we weren't not going to not tip the woman. The food was amazing, but the integrity and experience was tainted by them attempting to keep 15.55 in tips, which is over a 30% tip on a 44.45 bill. Who does that? It is very unfortunate to have such a lovely meal and experience totally ruined by how we had to leave the place. We will most likely not return for the simple fact that they intentionally tried to steal a 35% tip and literally made us sit there and wait. It literally made us sit there while they watched us, hoping we would just leave without our change. It's the principle. It's not the money. That was just plain rude. Holy shit, that was long. That was so long.
2: You know, when you said that the lady said, it was her, all I heard in my head was dun-dun-dun. <laughs> that is the
3: feeling that it,
2: that, that passage inspired. Uh,
1: I'm always astonished at how much effort people put into these Yelp reviews. Like, that's a really long thing to sit down and, and write. She was to trying eat, to like, paint a picture, and yeah, she, like, pretty, and she painted did, so, it. did so pretty well. Bob Ross over here.
2: Yeah, little pretty
3: trees. <laughs>
2: Um, this is like, there's so many variables, right, Just, Nooms? Yeah.
3: I mean, it seems like it could have been an honest mistake. Maybe she was just busy and she forgot, didn't realize that she wanted to change, even though you said it. I mean, like she said, there was only one waitress there in the place. So it's possible that she just had a lot going on and she lost track.
1: There's a lot of perception issues too. Like they said, excuse me, there's a lot of perception issues as well as how the whole thing down the customer looks at it as if they're intentionally trying to steal the tip more often than not. I don't think that's what's happening with servers, but sometimes servers could be a little presumptuous and just assume that they deserve, you know, whatever they deserve. Um, I think that really easily the whole, that whole situation, I don't have to get into breaking down every part of it. You just have a policy. You don't ask for if you need change. As soon as you get the bill, you just go take it and bring change and don't ask if they need change because then you avoid everything that just happened. Yeah. You just take the bill and you bring them the change and let everything go on. There's no need to ask if you need change because you might as well just say, are you going to tip me <laughs> or how much are you going to tip me? I agree. You know, and we've referenced before, it's inappropriate to talk about the tip or reference the tip or even look at the tip while the guest is there. So- To even mention it is the same thing, and if you just take it and bring them to change and let them leave whatever the tip is, it's really not.
3: Problem solved. Problem
1: solved, you don't get into it, and that's the way you should be handling it. It sounds like they could have either been being presumptuous about how much tip they had or if the one person was overwhelmed by how many people were in the restaurant, she was trying to cut down how much time she's going to take. So if I don't have to go get your change and bring it back, I can move on to the next three things that I have to do. And
3: that makes sense too.
2: So with that too, though, there's also other sides of the fence there. And I'll say as somebody behind the bar that's maybe helping four different parties at once when we're extremely multitasking, I put cards between my fingers based upon where people are standing so I remember who to charge what to. And sometimes it'll often take me seven minutes to get back to somebody, uh, with doing all the multitasking in between. So like, is this one of those situations where she was just multitasking heavily and just didn't get back to the person? Like this is why there's so many variables here. It's possible. Uh, we, we just don't really know what the assumption was except for the fact that the lady felt so slighted or the gentleman, whoever put this post up, uh, to say that, Hey, this server was trying to steal my cash and just think I wasn't going to say anything about it by not coming back with the tip and assume that I was just leaving this whole thing for her or him. I don't, I don't know. You know, that's it.
1: Just act appropriately. And then we don't have to worry about it. Exactly. But, but completely,
2: you, you don't talk about money. You don't look at the tip. You don't look at the bill. Just drop the money back to the client and keep or, it moving and back to the client. <laughs> um and keep in Always exactly. with your
1: always with, always with his clients. I can't they,
3: you gotta stop selling sex. They're guests. That's not right? what they're we're to do. I can't get a invoice mode. No voicemails this week, guys. Just uh smash that like button, because you know, algorithms.
2: And if you have a question, call the voicemail.
3: 203
2: 541 0762. Or and feel free to machine.
1: slide into the DMs too.